we have a constitutional amendment here in Montana that currently does protect hunting and fishing. And what we're trying to do is enhance that protection to protect our hunting heritage. And what that means is that current methods of take in Montana, if this were to pass, would be protected, including things like trapping and how we currently trap. We need to make sure that we continue to push the fight in states that don't have it like Oregon, but also here in Montana where we refine it and enhance it. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to find that we have these, I mean, they're adverse actions to hunting, right? And, right. and they're constant and they're well-funded and they're well-organized. And so if we can do something that's proactive instead of reactive, then I think in the long run, we're going to find more success and, and less attacks. New Mexico, you know, just a couple of years ago, they lost the ability to trap yes. on public land through that ballot initiative, right? And so I think that's really shown people, again, what the playbook is going to be, but how vulnerable we can be as a sportsman group to just chipping away little pieces like that. Yeah. And if we're not watchful, then what we're going to have is just a greater erosion of, of everything that we hold dear as conservationists. And then I think ultimately you're going to see wildlife, wild places and landscapes suffering because of that, because there's nothing to fund it and there's nobody that's actually watching. This is how the North American model wildlife conservation works. This is how it's funded. And for 120 plus years, we found success with it. If you take that away, then how do you begin to fund any of the state agencies, any of the research and the biologists that are out there in the field? And then who's going to be the advocate for wildlife? You know, we have all these conservation groups devoted to certain species, and they are doing a work that anti-hunting groups have not even begun to consider. How do you begin to, to say that you love and revere wildlife when all you're doing is saying stop hunting, but you have no response and no answer and no solution to replacing it? And it just, it, it doesn't work. And yeah, so what you're saying is at the end of the day, if they were successful, there won't be wildlife. And so anti-hunting, anti-wildlife, it makes absolute sense. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Howl for Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we're going to talk to my buddy Everett Headley. Of He actually uh, works for us at Health Wildlife. He's one of our content writers and researchers, and we are going to talk to him about a couple of bills that we got up on the Action Center right now, mainly HB 419, which is a bill. Actually, both of these bills are in Montana, 419. And the other one is, um, oh yeah, that's right. The Constitutional Amendment 1 is 360. Yeah, okay. All right. 367. Got it. <laughs> my brain, swear to God, man. It's been a rough day. This is actually my third podcast. I usually don't stack them up. more. Eh, once in a while, I'll do two in a day, but... I usually don't stack them up, and I did today for some ridiculous reason. You got to do what you can when you can, right? <laughs> I, I just don't know if I could do anymore. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the problem. I've been at I'm at SCI over here in Nashville, and I've been doing interviews in the morning, so I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm looking at my lunch right now. It's sat there for an hour. It's probably cold, but I mean, you got to do what you have to do while you can. Sorry, man. Sorry to keep you from lunch. <laughs> 
Yeah, no worries. There's not a whole lot that keeps me from food, so um, <laughs> that's my my downfall right there. All right, so uh, well, let's talk about the constitutional one. I think okay. that one. I mean, honestly, they're both extremely important, and I think so. And, and I, I, I'm going to tie in after you talked about these. I, I, you know what? Maybe before that, because I don't want people to be like, "Oh, this is just a Montana issue." I'm not going to listen to this podcast. It's really important that these go through in Montana because, for one, it sets precedence and it makes it easier for us to do the same thing in other states. I, for one, am working on very similar legislation here in Arizona. I've uh, been talking to the powers that be, and we might see something like this come up for next session. So very important. The other thing is, I don't know how many times you've heard me preach it. You've heard Charles talk about it. You've heard everybody that's ever talked about how for wildlife, we're all in this shit together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody's got to be on everything because the opposition is doing just that. We go to a board meeting in Washington. It's the same people showing up in Washington that shows up in Florida. They literally lock arms together. They have the same arguments in every single meeting that they go to. And they are organized and they fight for each other. Every organization works together. You got Project Coyote, you got uh, Husis, you got all the, and they give each other grants. We don't do that shit. I mean, we do it a little bit, but we don't do it like they do it. So, anyway, off my soapbox, turning it over to you, Everett. Well, you want me to give you a quick rundown on. Uh- yes. On this bill for the Hunting Heritage Amendment here in Montana, then we have a constitutional amendment here in Montana that currently does protect hunting and fishing. And what we're trying to do is enhance that protection to protect our hunting heritage. And what that means is that current methods of take in Montana, if this were to pass, would be protected, including things like trapping and how we currently trap. And what it's designed to do is to preclude any challenges that might happen in the future to ban hunting. We know that that's hunting, fishing, and trapping. And we know that one of the the plays from the book from anti-hunters is that they want to go after trapping first. And after that, they're going to go after other uh, activities that are all, that are currently legal and support conservation. Mm-hmm. And so trapping is vulnerable in that regard. And we want to protect that more explicitly here in Montana. And this is really important. What you were just saying about all of us being in the same boat together. I wrote the action for Oregon as well, which is the right to food. And it's protecting the ability of people who live there, recreate their hunt, fish, trap, gather, and forage to have that same constitutional protection in, in Oregon. And I think it's 26 states across the country that currently have this kind of constitutional amendment. But we need to make sure that we continue to push the fight in states that don't have it like Oregon, but also here in Montana where we mm-hmm. refine it and enhance it. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to find that we have these these. I mean, they're adverse actions to hunting, right? And, right. and they're constant and they're well-funded and they're well-organized. And so if we can do something that's proactive instead of reactive, then I think in the long run, we're going to find more success and, and less attacks. For sure. hundred percent. I think there needs to be moving forward. I like the, the approach that Oregon took because it's a little bit more all-inclusive, you right. know, but I also like the specific protections to methods of take 
that Montana is going for. So I think the two should marry each other and have a baby. And that's yeah. the kind of language <laughs> we need to throw out in other states. Well, in, in Oregon was smart when they did that. You know, there's a lot of people who will go out and forage. So you're talking about wild green. You're talking about fruits, all sorts of different activities that are, are kind of low impact or, or seen as low impact. Mm-hmm. But there's still a consumptive type of user if you want to use a label like that. And so to, to bring those people under that bigger umbrella of hunting and trapping and, and fishing, mm-hmm. it makes real sense. Because, again, I think it all comes back to an idea that we want to be self-sustainable. We want to provide for our own for- sources of food, and, and mm-hmm. most of that's protein. And and so when Oregon did put their their verbiage together, they were really smart about doing that. And I hope to see other states, at least the, the remaining 24 or so that, that don't have a, an amendment like this, use that model because it is more inclusive. And when you when you bring those people inside the, the camp, so to speak, you, you have more supporters, right? And so you're not just talking about, you know, hook and bullet type of groups. Now you've got... I don't know. I don't want to be derogatory, but you know, the wild mushroom gatherers of Oregon are going to be on board with something like this because they want to see that protected too, right? So uh, it's really important that we we kind of open the the doors to, to groups like that. And, mm-hmm. and I know this is about Montana's hunting heritage amendment, but like you said, this is really important and, and something that everybody from all fifty states need to get on board with. Yes, hundred percent. Because we can do it there, we can do it in other places. I, I honestly think that you are going to see this very same. Bill come up here in Arizona. Where, like I said, I was talking to the powers that be, and uh, we're definitely going to try to get something going um, on that. It's a obviously I live here in Arizona, so it's 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 near and dear to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna really work hard on trying to get that going here. I got the pin at the ready, John. Just let me know what to say. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we got to come up with the uh, with the bill first, and then. Uh, just got to get it in the right hands. I talked to a couple people. I, I was at Camo at the Capitol last week, and um, I think I got, I think I got the ear of the guy that's going to carry the torch for us on it. So, um, excellent. Yeah, I'm excited. That's about as all I can say on it because there's really other than that, it's all speculation and and hope and whatnot. But um, well, yeah. I think it's really important because your neighbor next door in New Mexico, mm. you know, just a couple years ago they lost the ability to trap yes. on public land through that ballot initiative, right? And so I think that's really shown people, again, what the playbook is going to be, but how vulnerable we can be as a sportsman group to to just chipping away little pieces like that. Yeah. And if we're not watchful, then what we're going to have is just a greater erosion of, of everything that we hold dear as conservationists. And then I think ultimately you're going to see all life, wild places and landscapes suffering because of that, because there's nothing to fund it. And there's nobody that's actually watching out for the interests of those, those places. Absolutely. And I, that's where I can't understand where the anti-hunting groups, well, I understand to an extent because they've been trying to find ways to replace our user pay type system that we have now, mm-hmm. but I can't understand because it, it's almost impossible and as an economic if you look at it through economics like just the industry of hunting alone what that does to the united states if that goes away like if they succeed if they had a magic wand right now and they waved it no more hunting of anything what devastation that would cause to life as we know it (laughs) 
<laughs> it's really well, that yeah. catastrophic. <laughs> catastrophic. It's really. It's not. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not like just you know. We're not just talking about animal populations because that's a big thing too. That I mean, that's going to affect wildlife. We always say, you know, you know, at, at Alpha Wildlife, we always say anti-hunting is anti-wildlife. But if you look at it on all this, like from all the stakeholder standpoint, and you look at it socially, economically, and just go down the rabbit hole, how many things that it's actually tied to, man. Like, I don't think I would, I mean, I'm a contractor, so maybe I would still own a truck, but if I wasn't a contractor, why would I own a truck if I don't hunt anymore? You yeah. know? Yeah. Like, there's no it, reason for it, me to have a four-wheel drive. Well, and it's hard to have a rational argument against, uh, you know, somebody who's being emotional about it, bringing emotional arguments to it, right? I mean, you're just talking two different languages. Mm-hmm. And when you try to sit down with them and explain, this is how the North American model wildlife conservation works. This is how it's funded. And for 120 plus years, we found success with it. If you take that away, then how do you begin to fund any of the state agencies, any of the research and the biologists that are out there in the field? And then who's going to be the advocate for wildlife? You know, we have all these conservation groups devoted to certain species, and they are doing a work that anti-hunting groups have not even begun to consider, right? I mean, you've got Wild Sheep Foundation putting you know, these watering holes down south for the desert bighorns. And, and I mean, you don't see anti-hunting groups doing things like that. And they so the question anything. becomes, yeah, <laughs> how do you begin to, to say that you love and revere wildlife when all you're doing is saying stop hunting, but you have no response and no answer and no solution to replacing it. And yeah. it just, it, it doesn't work. And yeah, so what you're saying is at the end of the day, if they were successful, there won't be wildlife. And so anti-hunting, anti-wildlife, it makes absolute sense. Yeah, Absolutely. So it's really important to get this Montana bill passed because it's like I said, it's going to make it easier for us to get it passed. If it passes in Oregon and passes here and we're going to learn how it got passed, we're going to learn, you know, that it's the, these, this is the type of language we need and so on and so forth to make it work, to make the non-hunting public, the non-fishing public, the people that are in between know what we're trying to do. And that, that's how we're going to get these things to go through in other states. That makes sense. Well, and I think that's really, I think that's a key point too, John, where, you know, as a, a sm- such a small demographic in the greater scheme of things, hunters need to, to be able to articulate and, and bring other people who aren't hunting or in that sportsman community on board. And so we need to be able to communicate why this is important, what this means, the impacts it has. Because if, if you're not hunting, this is outside of your wheelhouse, right? I mean, it's not even probably on your radar. Mm-hmm. But if we're not recruiting those people, you know, especially the legislators that aren't sportsmen or sportswomen, then we're not going to be able to get ideas like this passed. And, and, and you know, they enjoy bird watching. They enjoy all these what you might call non-consumptive activities. but but they don't realize that all of this is funded because of sportsman dollars. And so they, they need to have a little bit better education on that. And I think what we do at how really helps with that. We put out the intro on all the actions. And so I write those with the idea of you should be able to pull three or four big bullet points from that, mm-hmm. write them down, put them in your own words and some personalized message, and then pass that on to other people so that you're building this general support where 80% of the population who isn't anti-hunting and isn't forward hunting 
they're the ones making the decisions, right? And we need those people to be on our side to be able to get stuff like this passed. So we've got to be able to internalize that message and then be able to send it to people in a way that, that has your own personal flavor on it. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something that, you know, we're a small demographic or a small portion of the population. It's so crazy, the fact that we are so small, but how much responsibility we have for such a big thing again going back to what we were just talking about if we if they wave the magic wand and we went away what that can do to this country i, I did some research yeah. a couple of years ago about like even just the economics of it all think about how many millions and millions of dollars and how many jobs and how many things that are associated with hunting and what I mean, you've been to a SHOT Show. You've been, you're at SCI. How much money is there? Oh, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I mean. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I, I'm just trying to put it in. It, it, it shouldn't be about the money, honestly, but I'm putting it into a perspective that somebody who may not, may or may not have a, I don't know, skin in the game, I guess, for wildlife, yeah. how it affects them. You know, let's say well, I, I don't even let's say I don't even want to go wildlife viewing. Whatever. I don't really care. I'm not I live I live in Brooklyn and I all I care about is going down to the pizzeria down the street and I don't give a shit. I don't even want to see pigeons, you know. But if I if you look at it even even on at that level, if you had that you know, disdain for wildlife and wild things, it's still gonna affect you because it's gonna change the economy, you know. You have that aspect. And, and I, you know, there's two things that come to mind for me when you talk about people who don't hunt but benefit from the hunting dollars and the hunting experiences that we that we have. And the National Wildlife Refuge, I live right next door to one, and there are bird watchers all, over there all the time. And in the spring, I'll do a bird walk, and I'll identify waterfowl species for them and talk about them in flight and how you can you know do ID on the wing and things like that. And then I started to talk about how I pay my $25 for my duck stamp, and that's what I actually bought this place and manages the whole national wildlife refuge is that $25 duck stamp. And then I ask all them, how many of you come here, you know, throughout the year and they'll all raise their hands. And then I ask, okay, how many of you have actually bought a duck stamp mm. to help make sure that this place is here the following year? And there, I mean, almost every hand goes down. Right. So again, a clear example of community and society at large benefiting from hunter actions and hunter dollars. But then I'll take you to a totally different example all the way over to Africa. And I think it was in Mozambique and during their civil war, before the Civil War happened, the the sport hunting that was going on over there and the conservation efforts was, I mean, it was great, right? There was, they were having, you know, success, populations were thriving. Civil War happens, I think it was like 15 years. And what you saw during the Civil War was everybody, you know, supply chains are broken. They don't have access to food. And and, and so they're going out and they're, they're, they're getting whatever they can in the bush and, and populations just plummeted i think it was 90 percent of wildlife populations dropped during that 90 during that 15 year civil war and what you have there is an example of when there's no value placed on the wildlife and and there's no appreciation for and there's not a protection or a group that advocates for them they disappear and they were almost gone And, and what you're seeing now in the past you know 10 years or so is this up uptick in in conservation but it's just almost exponential how much money is flowing in there 
and then the resulting conservation efforts, the populations increasing, the species diversity increasing, and, and people just given, you know, a darn about what's going on with the wildlife and the wild places. And of course, they had civil war to deal with, and I don't want to minimize that at all. But one of the aspects there is they're just, when there's not a value for something, it goes away. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw that very clearly over there. Yes, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, so let's talk about this other this other bill because I think this one is super interesting because it kind of takes away. I think before we get into it, let's let's kind of lay the uh, lay the foundation for what the I guess business model is of the anti hunters. They are a sue and settle type. I don't know what industry, I guess. I don't really know what to call it. But uh, business? Yeah, yeah, I don't business, know what else yeah. to call it. I mean, because that's all it is. They tug right. on heartstrings. They get mo- your, your money, and all the money that they get is spent on operations and propaganda and advertising what they do to get more money. They actually use taxpayers' money to do their litigation. Yep. So the $25 that you gave Husis for saving kittens doesn't go to saving kittens. Hell, it doesn't even go to fighting us. It goes to creating more content, more media and whatnot to get more money and to line the pockets of the people who are running those things. It is the most ridiculous I'm sure there's a couple organizations out there that have done some like good work. And I know a lot of the people that are involved in those actually are well-intentioned, just misguided and don't understand things. But that in a nutshell, I'm going to leave it there. We don't have to go down there because we're, we're talking to hunters here. I know we're talking to hunters. We're not talking to the non-hunting public, so I don't really need to paint the boogeyman. They already know what what it's about. So, but let's talk about this this uh, HB House Bill four nineteen. So HB four nineteen, I'm calling it the Montana Bond Bill, and the idea behind it is just what you're saying. When when these groups uh, sue the state of Montana, they're going to be required to put up a bond of their own money, a minimum of $50,000, but it can go up to a million dollars. It's all decided by the judge hearing the case. And what that requires is that these frivolous lawsuits where they just, they, they litigate and delay. That's the tactic, right? So they may not win. They know they're not going to win in a lot of cases, but if they can delay wolf hunting season for three months, well, that's three months of the season and X amount of wolves in their mind that they've actually saved. And so the with a bill like this, they're going to be required to put money on the table that if the their lawsuit is dismissed, the people who have actually suffered losses, guides, outfitters, local, uh, you know, like communities with hotels and grocery stores and gas stations that these hunters come in and they, they pay for these things during, you know, the off season during the, the off tour season. Mm-hmm. And so they really kind of add to the economy in a, in a way that the, that is needed in rural Montana. These people could all make a claim against whoever sued the state and then draw the money off of that bond. This has been done with mining industries and mining uh, logging industries. They're required to put up bonds before any lawsuit comes in, and it's really helped to mitigate and decrease the number of lawsuits that are just thrown out there to, to save the 
uh, spotted who's it right mm-hmm. and let's do a study and okay now we're six months down the road that you know that bird doesn't exist and so those kind of tactics in in the hunting industry are still here we saw that really recently in montana where a group sued the judge at the time in my home city if i have to say that put the regulations they, he reverted them back to the 2021 regulations which were a little bit more constrictive and so that went on for a few months before ultimately they were reverted back to what they currently are for the 2023, 22, 23 season. Mm. And, and, and the, the guys and outfitters who lost that, that portion of, of the, the season, they're out real money guys that paid to come in and, and outfits and I'm sorry to hunt with an outfitter. There's no recourse for them. Right. And so what this would do was give them that recourse so that if there are client fees if there are employee wages that they they paid out of their own pocket to, to keep people on staff while this was going on, they can then go and and use these these bond bill uh, these bonds to help bring some kind of stability to to their own economic situation. But mm-hmm. I think most important, I think this will help to detour these groups that wait, do I really want to put a million dollars of my money up knowing that I'm going to lose, or can I do something else? And, and and, and I like this and it's worked in other areas and, and I'm really hopeful that this will pass. I think it will. And I, and it'll be helpful for, for hunting in Montana. Yeah. I was going to say that to me is where the, where the big thing is. Like, I mean, it's great to have some kind of mechanism to pay back some of these people that suffer losses when, when these things happen. But at the same time, I like the fact that it might deter somebody for just coming to, to yeah. sue just a sue sake. Which is what we, we know that's what they do. Like we said, it's a sue and settle type. They bring up all these like frivolous lawsuits because it's a money making machine for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I kind of liken the hunting industry to this prize fighter, right? Like a Mike Tyson kind of guy. And we are big and we're robust. And every time you hit us, we take it on the chin and you may knock us down, but you've never knocked us out. Right. Well, what if we didn't even have to get in the ring? Mm-hmm. And what if we could just stop this from happening? And and I'm not going to go up to Mike Tyson and throw a punch and then run away and think I'm going to escape it, right? You know, so this this really puts the fight back in the hunting side uh, of of things and, and allows us to have another punch, if you want, to go after these groups. And so maybe maybe they'll think twice before they say, you know, we know we're going to lose this. Let's not even battle it. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Let's you know. You want to pick a different battle, we'll fight that one, but I don't want to have to fight them all if we don't need to. Right. Exactly. Because we don't have the system in place that they do. So one of the things that that does to us is every time they use taxpayers' money to file a lawsuit, we are battling it with money that came from us. We're not using taxpayers' money to battle it. So it's also going to help us free up when we're not battling these frivolous lawsuits, like you said, only taking the real fights on, it's going to free up a lot for us. I think that's huge. So very important for you, I say you, people listening, to get on here and uh, make your voices heard. Let's make this thing go through. Go to Halfa Wildlife and Halfa Wildlife Action Center. And uh, and get involved. It takes thirty seconds per, if that. And uh, yeah, what else you got going on, man? Oh, well, you know, I'm 
at SCI. So I'm hearing uh, all the things that are starting to come down the pipe, uh, not only here in America, but internationally things that are happening. You know, in England, we're talking about importation bans and mm-hmm. uh, that's always kind of been going on there. So we're, we're really kind of getting into that. We've got, it's a never ending revolving door of, of concerns that continue to pop up. And so, it's nice to be at a show like like SCI because we're all in one place. We can put our, our heads together and talk over a table over lunch or something and, and really see what we can do to, to work out some uh, cooperative solutions together and reinforce what everybody's doing as sportsmen around the world, which to me is really important. You know, the global brotherhood of hunting is it's more than just the white-tailed deer in North Carolina or the elk in Montana, right? There's, there's so much more out there. And, and there's a lot to learn from each other. And I think there's a lot of support. So that, that's kind of where I'm at here in, in Nashville. But you know, taking it back to Montana, we have, I think, five times as many wildlife bills in this session as we normally do. And so mm-hmm. it's important that we we talk about, you know, like uh, the bond bill 419 and the constitutional amendment 367. Both of those need to rise above all the other noise that's happening and and really get to the top so that legislators know that this is something that we need to be focusing on. And that, that what is 150 some odd bills that are in there and we need we need these two to be number one and number two priorities, right? And of course, right. there are others out there, but yeah, I know we, these, we are, just, these are so important. I know we just got involved in the uh, SB three fifty four, which is yeah, basically going to allow non resident non resident trapping. trapping, yeah, in Montana yeah. also, which is that's great. That's a pro that's a pro hunting bill to me. So you know why not sign up on that? Well, cool, man. I want to take you, thank you for taking the time out and uh, you know. Yeah, I can get to my burger now, right? Yeah, go go eat your uh, your freezing cold lunch. <laughs> uh, always good to talk, John. <laughs> All right, man, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome, bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save twenty percent. All one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.